Mark your calendar if you want to mix and match vaccines. Between 10 in the morning and 4 in the afternoon tomorrow, waitlist signups will be open to eligible people. AstraZeneca recipients age 18 and older can sign up for a second dose of Pfizer or Moderna. Let's hear from the CECC. First of all, we are opening the system for six hours tomorrow to collect information on how many people are interested in getting mixed brands. We'll use that information to plan future appointment and rollout schedules. We'll collect the data to make plans for that. In related news, National Taiwan University Hospital has released preliminary results from its trial on vaccine mixing. It appears that mixing AstraZeneca and Moderna yields greater protection than two doses of AstraZeneca. But subjects who received mixed doses experienced more side effects than those fully vaccinated with AZ. The CECC has shortened its dosage interval for Moderna vaccines after cutting the AstraZeneca interval earlier this month. The recommended time between doses is now four weeks for Moderna, down from 10 weeks. It's also four weeks for Pfizer and eight weeks for AstraZeneca. The CECC is asking all eligible people to get their second dose ASAP. Its goal is to hit 60 percent full vaccination by the end of the year. COVID vaccines are going into arms. To ramp up the rate of second dose coverage, the CECC has shortened the interval between doses. Second shots of AstraZeneca can be given to people aged 18 and up who received their first shot at least eight weeks before. For Moderna, the interval is four weeks or more, and for Pfizer, it's four weeks or more as well. Gone are the three-month waits of the past. As of Tuesday, Taiwan's first dose coverage stands at 76.58 percent. Two-dose coverage is at 43.69 percent. In hopes of loosening COVID border restrictions in other countries, Taiwan aims to lift its rate of full vaccination. It's targeting 60 percent by year's end. Internationally, border control policies are increasingly factoring in second-dose vaccination as a key criterion. We encourage people who need to travel abroad and younger people to get vaccinated. Due to the limited international recognition of Taiwan's Medigen vaccine, the CECC now allows Medigen recipients to get fully vaccinated with another brand. On Wednesday, Health Minister Chen Shizhong took lawmakers' questions on the policy. The reason we are doing this with Medigen is to meet international requirements. For example, the U.S. requires you to be fully vaccinated with these brands. So we made these adjustments so that people can do so. This policy is not about effectiveness because the Medigen vaccine is effective. Chen said that the policy was meant to satisfy travel requirements and that it did not reflect concerns about Medigen's effectiveness. He stressed that the policy was recommended by the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices. The health minister said he would take political responsibility if problems emerge. We government officials will take political responsibility for all relevant policies. The CECC also touched on the issue of booster shots. It said that by January 31st, about 263,000 people will have been fully vaccinated for at least six months. It said that experts will assess measures for boosters and draw up a detailed plan. 
U.S. President Joe Biden says it is up to Taiwan to decide its own future. He was speaking in the U.S. state of New Hampshire on Tuesday, just after a face-to-face -face virtual encounter with Chinese leader Xi Jinping. Responding to media questions, Biden said he made it clear to Xi that the U.S. supports the Taiwan Relations Act. He said that although the U.S. was not, quote, encouraging independence, it did believe in letting Taiwan make up its own mind about its future. Last night, I had an important virtual meeting for three and a half hours with the president of China, Xi Jinping. U.S. President Joe Biden traveled to New Hampshire on Tuesday to promote a new infrastructure law. In his remarks from the U.S. state, he said he'd had a productive conversation with Chinese leader Xi Jinping the night before. A good meeting. We got a lot to follow up on. We set up four groups. We're going to get our folks together on a whole range of issues. I'll have more to report for you in the next two weeks. During the virtual encounter, the two leaders touched on the issue of Taiwan. Biden reiterated that the U.S. would uphold its commitments in the Taiwan Relations Act. Tuesday in New Hampshire, Biden followed up with this. We have made very clear we support the Taiwan Act, and that's it. It's independence. It makes its own decisions. Biden's remarks drew various explanations in the press. An hour later, he made a point of clarifying his comment. No, no, I said that they have to decide. They, Taiwan, not us. And we are not encouraging independence. We're encouraging that they do exactly what the Taiwan Act requires. And that's what we're doing. Let them make up their mind. Biden emphasized that the U.S. was not encouraging Taiwan's independence. Reporting on his remarks, Chinese state media Xinhua and CGTN stated that the U.S., quote, does not support Taiwan independence. In its latest press release, the White House did not mention Biden's comments. He also reminded President Xi that he voted for the Taiwan Relations Act as a senator. Any effort to shape Taiwan's future by other than peaceful means is of grave concern to the United States. Every time that there is a major meeting, Chinese state media outlets make assumptions, read too much into comments, or even distort the reality. They are, of course, just producing propaganda for domestic and international consumption. Analyzing the statements made during the summit, DPP lawmaker Luo Zhejiang said the U.S. stance was firmly against unilateral changes to Taiwan's status quo. He said that the summit and other U.S. actions made clear that Taiwan was a top priority. The U.S. insists on maintaining its so-called strategic ambiguity, but from its concrete actions, we can see that Washington is moving toward a clearer stance. That is, without a doubt. Now, whenever the U.S. discusses its relationships with Taiwan and China, they list the Taiwan Relations Act first, followed by the three joint communiques. From the order in which the documents are presented, it appears that the U.S. sees Taiwan as its utmost priority. Taiwan's foreign ministry condemned China for false reporting on Biden's remarks. It said that through repeated acts of disinformation, Beijing has lost the trust of the global community. Turning now to an update on the Elan high-speed rail project. For months now, the project has been bogged down in disputes over the location of its terminal station. On Wednesday, Transport Minister Wang Guocai unveiled yet another option on top of the four locations already proposed. These four proposals are the Sicheng Railway Station, Yilan Railway Station, Yilan County Government Station, and Luodong Station. The fifth option is to build a terminus located 350 meters south of the Yilan County Government Station. 
Ilan locals have been sharply divided over the four original locations, citing concerns like the need for home relocations. But given their early responses to his latest proposal, the transport chief says the fifth time could be the charm. The Guandu Flower Festival is underway in Taipei with more than five hectares of flowers in full bloom. This year, local students got a chance to test out their foreign language skills by giving tours of the flower fields in English and Japanese. For Mosa News reporter Stephanie Yang sat in on a session. Welcome to the Guandu Flower Festival! These high school students greet us in both English and Japanese. The Guandu Flower Festival is back in action with 5.08 hectares of blooming flowers. For the first time, the Taipei City government is offering tours in English and Japanese. Cosmos got the yellow and gold colors. And cosmos mean innocent and sincere. As part of an internship, students from Zhiping Senior High School are participating in a tour guide training session at the Guandu Flower Plain. One group took part in English tour guide training. Actually, first I'm afraid of it because I have to introduce something that might because, because you know something that's unknown for me and then I have to introduce to the others. That will be nervous. But next, about tried about a few times and I just feel, well, it's nothing. It's just like talking to the others. But in English, it's very easy. And I just like, you know, and slowly, slowly, I love that feeling. I love to talk to the others and I love to introduce them about something that they want to know. Uh, we need to learn some flowers words or some terms be- uh, before I come here. At first, I'm very scared to talk to you or other people, but my teacher gave me this chance to uh, be the reporter to introduce the Guandu Flowers Festival. I'm very thanks about her for give me this chance to do this. Another group participated in Japanese tour guide training. The students introduced the scenery and the story of the Guandu Plain. There are many Japanese in Taiwan. Now they can also learn what flowers there are in Taiwan and what this place is. I think I have learned a lot from this event. I learned how to give a tour to the audience. I also learned flower terminology and small stories I can tell. During our training, the teacher explains various historical events and other stories. There are also some stories about local developments. At the end of the course, we go to do on-site observation. After that, we lead a tour. Students were trained by a teacher and a professional tour guide. Our school has Japanese and English tour guide courses. We hope that students can use these languages in their daily lives. I am very happy to be able to bring the students here for a practical internship experience. 
We hope that this event helps young people and students learn more about the features of this area. We hope it gives them an opportunity to use their skills. The Gwendu Flower Festival will be held till November 21st. With the pandemic easing, Taiwan hopes to train more young talent who can showcase the country to the world. For most of the news, Stephanie Yang, Zhong Shuhui in Taipei. The Industrial Technology Research Institute honored five new laureates on Tuesday, including the first woman to receive the distinction. She is Onward Therapeutics chairwoman Grace Ye, the developer of a drug for pancreatic cancer. Other honorees include Micronix chairman Min Wu and MediaTek vice chairman Rick Tsai. The group was selected for outstanding contributions to society and the development of industrial technology. Five new E-Tree laureates take to the stage to accept a medal and frame plaque from President Tsai Ing-wen. They include Macronix Chairman Min Wu, MediaTek Vice Chairman Rick Tsai, Grace Ye of Onward Therapeutics, and Yang Pan Shi, former president of National Taiwan University. Enormous progress has been made in COVID therapies. Antibodies are one area of development. Another is small molecule drugs. We have seen many small molecule drugs achieve very good results in clinical trials. There have also been some nucleic acid therapies that have done quite well. So in the near future, we'll be seeing the emergence of some very good drugs. Last year, as COVID-19 ravaged the globe, Yang and his team developed a decoy antibody that can block viral infection. Their research was published in an international journal and has obtained a provisional patent in the U.S. At the E-Tree Laureate Ceremony, Yang said the world was racing to develop novel therapeutics for the post-COVID era. He urged the government to step up procurement and negotiate production deals for new oral drugs. In the biotech sector, Eatry honored the developer of a pancreatic cancer drug, Taiwan's first cancer drug to be authorized for market by the U.S. FDA. Grace Ye, chairwoman of Onward Therapeutics, is the first female laureate in Eatry's history. Ye noted that there were many other outstanding women in the field. When I received the news, I was very surprised. First, I was honored to be chosen as a laureate. Then I discovered that I was the first woman ever, and I was even more surprised because there are a great many outstanding female leaders in Taiwan's technology sector. Between now and 2030, our hope is to deploy the technologies we have today to proactively pave the way for development, for instance, in sectors like solar energy, renewables, and transport electrification. After the laureate ceremony, E-Tree's president presided at a forum exploring pathways for reaching net zero emissions by 2050. The event heard strategies for green energy development, industrial transformation, and the reduction of carbon emissions. Every year around this time, Taipei's Wanhua District plays host to the Qingshan King Festival, one of three major religious ceremonies in the city. This year, the three-day temple festival will start on November 24th. To attract younger participants, the General Association of Chinese Culture will hold a music festival and street market in the area on November 20th. (laughs) 
folk deities strut to the backdrop of traditional music. It's a preview of upcoming festivities at Bangka Qingshan Temple in Taipei. As before, on the weekend before the temple processions, there will be a market and music in the format of a fair. We're hoping to draw more young people into the old quarter. After negotiating with various parties in the Taipei city government, we decided to return to the roots of the tradition. That is to say, there will be processions both at night and during the day. We'll have to wrap up the parades before midnight and we won't set any firecrackers off after midnight to reduce noise. There will be two nighttime processions on November 24th and 25th and a grand daytime parade on November 26th. Members of prominent temples in Wanhua, Yunling and Miaoli will march in the parades and pray for peace and prosperity. Alongside the religious activities, Wanhua will host the Roar Now Banka Festival. Twelve musicians will perform in front of the temple the evening of November 20th to appeal to local youth. Ahead of the festivities, the Banka Qingshan Temple announced that it was donating an ambulance to Jiayi County. County Commissioner Ong Zhang Liang attended the donation ceremony. This ambulance will service several villages and townships. It will service Minxiong, Xingang, Shiko, as well as Dalin. I am very grateful for this. Today, us here will drive back to Jiayi in this ambulance after the event. The temple said the donation was in honor of the Qingshan King as thanks for protecting poultry farmers in Jiayi. Crab is a favorite on the menu in the winter. But did you know that crabs are threatened by human disturbances and ecological damage? To address the threat, National Taiwan Ocean University is pursuing a crab breeding project in collaboration with New Taipei City. The program teaches young people aquaculture skills, helping the next generation learn how to support ocean creatures. An Atlantic blue crab floats gently through the water, surveying its surroundings. But this is not the deep blue sea. It's a fish tank, and all these crabs are part of a restoration project. There are two tricky aspects. One is that we're still acquiring the nutrients needed for its swimming stage. It has a rather long swimming stage and grows quite big, so it needs a lot of nutrients. The second is, after it has changed state, how to reduce the rate at which they eat each other. There's a massive problem with Atlantic blue crabs fighting each other and eating each other. We're working hard to advance and have a breakthrough on this front. We want to get to the stage where we can mass cultivate them. New Taipei City Agriculture Department has worked for six years with faculty and students at National Taiwan Ocean University. The artificial crab breeding program and the cuttlefish program have both had spectacular results. We researched the breeding and feeding of cuttlefish. We have achieved the first successful breeding of Atlantic blue crabs from young in Taiwan. All around the world, we're facing the problem of young people leaving rural villages. Within this issue, in New Taipei City Government, we're working with the university social responsibility groups, which are open to the young people of universities, not just students, but also young scholars. Crab is a big favorite on Taiwanese menus. In New Taipei, Wanli crab is especially vital for the seaside economy. But the future of the ocean's wildlife is not assured. The city wants more young people to devote themselves to restoration projects which will help humans and nature live together in harmony. A video by pop star Eddie Chen has stirred up a trend for jump rope. The sport is an effective way to lose weight fast and in a small space, making it a perfect workout for lockdown. 
But doctors and fitness experts warn that skipping does carry its own risks. If you overdo it or get the technique wrong, you could end up with an injury. This video by Eddie Chan set off a skipping trend during the pandemic. But to glean good results, you must get the technique right. My eyes are looking straight ahead, and we keep our arms and legs coordinated. Remember not to bend at the waist. This fitness coach advises keeping your hands nice and far apart to stay symmetrical. Rotate the rope with your wrists and keep your knees slightly bent as you jump. Don't land on your heels. Normally, people don't exercise very strenuously. I would recommend about two to three minutes. That's already great. Go slowly at an even pace. Just go at your own rate. Based on the coordination of your arms and legs, increase the pace or slow down. Mix it up. One physical therapy doctor warns that a rope too short can make you jump too high and land awkwardly. On the other hand, a rope too long will hamper your speed. You can base the intensity of your workout on your maximum heart rate. For most people, the maximum heart rate should be 220 minus your age. If you want a bit of a challenge, we generally say go for about 70% of your maximum heart rate. These days, many wearable devices can tell you how much pressure this exercise is having on your cardiorespiratory system while you skip. Skipping for 10 minutes can burn as many calories as 60 minutes of jogging, but make sure your posture is correct. If you jump too high or don't hydrate enough or rest enough, once in the clinic I saw someone who gave themselves rhabdomyolysis. It can happen. Before starting to skip, slowly rotate your wrists to warm them up as well as your feet. That already reduces the risk of injury. And avoid skipping altogether if you have plantar fasciitis or bunions or any foot injuries. When you're dealing with an injury, don't give your body more than it can handle. It'll be mostly cool and damp in the coming week with a chance of showers in the north. Forecasters say warm temperatures will return on the weekend, reaching 29 degrees in Taipei, but things will soon deteriorate from there. Let's hear from the Central Weather Bureau. Throughout tomorrow, starting from the early morning, a weak front will pass over Taiwan, bringing rainy weather. Precipitation will be concentrated in central and northern Taiwan, as well as mountainous areas of the south. All these areas will see localized showers. On November 22nd, northwesterly winds will strengthen. The coldest point will likely be the early hours of November 23rd. We expect lows in northern Taiwan to reach 13 or 15 degrees. The south will see lows of 18 to 20 degrees. Next Monday, moisture from southern China and a new wave of northeasterly winds will bring rain to the north and east. Forecasters say this weather system could strengthen into the first continental cold air mass of the winter season.